Hello and welcome to apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week we are going to drink rhubarb, raspberry, and nettle leaf infusion tea by Fortnum and Mason. While we talk about podcasts, the audiobook club with John York, the book Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood, and then we'll end with things we just couldn't stop thinking about this week, which is the Supreme Court and the top 200 grossing films of all time. So, shosh, what do you think of the rhubarb, raspberry, and nettle leaf infusion tea? That's quite a name. It is quite a name. It's nice. I don't think it's my favorite or blows me away by any means, but it's enjoyable. I mostly taste the raspberry and the hibiscus, and I only know that it has hibiscus because you told me it's in the ingredients <laughs> list. It's the number one ingredient, yeah. <laughs> so otherwise I wouldn't, I mean, I maybe could have guessed, obviously, based on the flavor, but I wouldn't have like known from the name, obviously. But I definitely don't pick up any nettle, although I'm not sure what that would taste like necessarily. And I don't really get the rhubarb, although I also am not sure that I would know to pick up on that, especially because rhubarb, when I've had it in the past, has always been paired with something like strawberry or raspberry Mm -hmm. or a sweeter Mm -hmm. fruit. So I'm not sure it kind of all just blends together, maybe, Mm -hmm. but it's nice. Like I said, I don't think this blows me away by any means, but it's like an enjoyable tea. So, and yeah, definitely the raspberry and the hibiscus Mm -hmm. is what comes through the most for me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, To me, it's definitely a hibiscus tea with an aftertaste with raspberry. I like it. I'll definitely finish it. If you like hibiscus tea, I think this is definitely a good one to have. It's a little tart. So maybe that tartness, like hibiscus teas are always a little tart, but this one does add like a little layer of that. So maybe Maybe that's that's the the rhubarb. rhubarb. I don't know. Yeah. But it's possible. I could see that. Enjoyable. Yeah. And of course it's hibiscus. So it's a pretty color. It is a very nice color. And Fordham and Mason is branded in everything beautiful Megan's green color. So the mm-hmm. packaging is very nice as well. Yes, it's gorgeous. And Shosh was kind enough to send me the packaging. I had to. It's your color. <laughs> it is. It fits in well in my house and all of my stuff. <laughs> you can only have Fordham and Mason tea from now on. You'll open <laughs> your cabinet and everything will just be lined up. Beautiful green boxes. <laughs> Or it'll be other people's tea, but it'll all be the Fordham and Mason packaging. <laughs> you'll you'll just start putting all the tea in their packaging. That works. Yep. Amazing. I do have so the tin you sent me for their royal blend. There you go. You're already on your way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. Should we talk about this podcast? Sure. So we listened to the audiobook club with John York and their guest this week was Teddy Hamilton. So I came across this podcast on Instagram because Teddy Hamilton is actually one of my favorite narrators and he mostly does romance novels. (laughs) So that's how I know him. And like I said, he just has like a really, really good voice for narration Mm-hmm. And I would say, honestly, it was better in narration than it was in the podcast because the audio is better for a narrated book. Not that the audio was yeah. bad for the podcast, but obviously. No, but it wasn't great the, either. The podcast was just normal talking. And, yeah. you know, it, it also, 
not as a criticism, but he was talking like a normal person, not like a book narrator also. Well, you know what I mean? So he said like, and he changed his mind about what he was saying. And he like, not in a bad way, but stumbled Mm -hmm. over things as he thought out his thoughts rather than having like clear, concise, you know, words that he's just reading out. So Mm -hmm. even though you, I could hear his voice in the podcast, it's like way, way better (laughs) when he narrates a book. But so he's one of my favorites and I follow him on Instagram and I don't always even see that much stuff from him, which he even said in the podcast, he's not that active really on any social Mm -hmm. medias or anything, but he did happen to share in his story. And I randomly had to happen to see it when this podcast sent out on theirs that they, he had been their guest. And so I was like, oh, what is this podcast? I like audiobooks. So I was like, let's just give it a, cha- a try. And so we did. And obviously we listened to the Teddy Hamilton episode because that's how I found it. And that's the narrator that, you know, I was familiar with. And I really enjoyed it. I don't know that I would listen to it all the time if it wasn't narrators that I know, mm-hmm. although maybe it would convince me to find a narrator. I'm not... I'm not really sure. I feel like if I saw that it was a narrator that I know, I would probably really enjoy it, but that I don't need to listen to it all the time, if that makes sense. But essentially it was just a conversation between John York, who I gather from this podcast is also a narrator and Mm -hmm. Teddy Hamilton. And he said that Teddy Hamilton was their number one most requested Mm -hmm. guest, (laughs) which I thought was pretty awesome as well. But so it was just interesting because I don't really know anything about Teddy Hamilton other than that he's a great narrator of romance novels Mm -hmm. so it was kind of interesting just to hear generally a kind of who he is some of the things in his life his sort of work process you know he went through sort of what his typical day is and (laughs) talked a little bit about narrating and stuff so that was that was just super interesting Mm -hmm. what did you think especially since you at least I'm this is an assumption I suppose but you didn't know Teddy Hamilton before this right no, I am the worst with names. So even though when, once I looked at Teddy Hamilton's like repertoire, I was like, oh, he has read me quite a few books. Oh, <laughs> But I'm the worst at paying any attention to that. Like the only other narrator in the world that I can like say that I know her name is Julia Whelan. Yes, I knew that's what it was going to be. <laughs> you know, and otherwise, like I love a book when it's narrated by the author. So I pay a lot of attention to that. But that's cheating because it's like on the title like or excuse me on the cover page of the book it's built into who the author is so it's I don't know kind of a short-sighted aspect of me but or my unwillingness to do a lot of research at times um but I'm really excited (laughs) because he narrates fourth wing and Josh and I are going to be reading that shortly I didn't and I'm even reading that know with another that. book club yes oh my god. I am so excited oh, oh my god I did not know that I swear to you I did not know that no you're good I oh totally my gosh. believe that I I'm am surprised just because <laughs> I, so pumped. I kind of assumed that was part of the reason you knew him but yeah no I because I went looking for his like you know repertoire of books and he's got like 250 so many. of he them does so or many. maybe more that's like a jug guess um and those are the oh, I think those are only the ones that are available through audible so there may be more um and I of course didn't get through all 250 that were on audible because again my <laughs> willingness to research things 
dissipates pretty quickly. Um, but yeah. So, but I really enjoyed the podcast um, on a technical aspect of things. I did think the sound quality was not that strangely great. bad. And again, for narrators like maybe, who yes. have home studios. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is really weird. How is this not like, how do they sound so echoey? And how is it so like quiet? And like, why am but I having, I have, to... it's so strange. I have a feeling that they are sort of doing a similar thing to us. They're not actually in their sound booth studios using their high tech right. equipment. They were probably on, you know, a zoom call or something, mm-hmm. but I thought the same thing. It was the same feeling that I had with George Ezra and Ed Sheeran's thing where I'm like, you guys are super famous musicians and the, mm-hmm. the technical quality of this is not that great. But I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing. They were probably recording on his phone or something as they were sitting there. So I get it, but it feels like surprising, especially when right. you know that they have home studios and produce high quality audio. <laughs> right. Well, and when Teddy himself was like, oh yeah, I used to be an engineer. I used to do the production. I'm like, and you're like, did you? Are you sure? <laughs> but I'm also sure he didn't produce this particular episode yeah, or this I, podcast. I so. so, you yeah. know. Agreed. Details. I'm sure that was, he was the guest. So I'm sure that was mm-hmm. all on the, the John York side. <laughs> right. But that didn't take away from anything that they were saying. And I really enjoyed Teddy Hamilton's demeanor as it came across in this particular episode. I particularly liked, and you alluded to this, his day in the life. He's like, I wake up, I tell myself I'm going to get something done, I get on my phone, I, I mess around for an hour, I go have breakfast because my wife lovingly made it for me, and then I tell myself I'm going to get something done, and then I do something else for like an hour, kind of dithering around, maybe I take a shower, and then my wife says, hey, lunch is ready, I'm so spoiled, and then I finally sit down around one o'clock and start to get something done, and then he said he works sometimes until like seven or eight. I, I know like, I was oh. like I'd rather just start earlier and finish yeah. but Andy said he, he almost always works seven days a week which is also yeah. crazy yeah that's a lot of working but I assume he loves it like because my default position is always like maybe a day off like you know one, one day to breathe but it sounds like he gets a bunch of work and then you have kind of like a low so he might just work for seven days straight for quite a while and then have some vacation time I think he didn't really say but I feel like he has quite a bit of control over his schedule Mm -hmm. I mean to a certain extent obviously he was talking about and I appreciated that he is conscious of when he's has a commitment and has said that he'll do something so if he's behind he might work really late to try to catch up and not be too far behind and and sort of things like that because obviously I'm sure there are deadlines or requested mm-hmm. dates or whatever but generally speaking I'm sure that he has like a decent amount of flexibility because he has control over what projects he accepts and he probably knows the timelines and things but he does a lot of books mm-hmm. like a lot a lot a lot of books yeah so yeah, he did yeah, he also must. admit that a lot of them are duets, so he's not having to do, he's doing half right. of a lot of books. <laughs> right, because he but said still, a lot of them are duets, and, and so it's only like four or five hours of recording. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, that makes it a little bit, I guess, better, you know, but still, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. But even when he does the whole book by himself, with the few books that I have heard him speak, 
he doesn't do women awfully. Like his his women sound Decent. like women and yeah. not like whiny people with high pitched voices. <laughs> it's just hard to do. I always judge probably not fair but I do judge men on how they portray the women's voices and if it's too whiny unless the character yeah. is supposed to be whiny, to be like whiny there are some right. some characters where they literally say this person has a mousy voice okay I'll give it to you if that's the description otherwise probably not yeah I have to say one thing that I'm impressed with him is I've actually listened to him do uh like MM romance and uh, like mf romance and mm-hmm. i think he does them both convincingly to be honest mm-hmm. originally like a little while ago when i first listened to him i wasn't even sure if he was gay or straight and it didn't matter but i'm just saying he's, he right. does them both convincingly so i wasn't even sure and it turns out he's married and has a wife which i think actually also says a lot about him because i don't know that everybody i mean i suppose it's kind of like a macho stereotype but i don't know that all men would be comfortable enough to go into that role I suppose Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like I said he does both convincingly originally Mm -hmm. I wasn't even sure where he you know like fell again not that it matters I just I think it's impressive that he can do both Mm -hmm. so I I appreciate that from him also Mm -hmm. yeah and I really loved his the way he described getting into his characters particularly the characters he's like look I play the bad boy a lot and in the beginning the bad boy is a jerk and he's like and if I judged my own character by the standards that I would sometimes judge regular people I would hate myself I would it would bleed into my performance and then the women and men who listen to these books would not enjoy them at all and so he explains how he had to work hard to find the humanity even in the bad boys or the boys who uh, do not treat other people well the way they should. But see, that's another credit to him too, because he was talking about not only that, but then he was like, and then I'll follow it up when I'll be like a super soft, extra nice guy in the next one or whatever. Mm -hmm. And again, the fact that he, I mean, I guess in a way it's acting the same, you know, Mm -hmm. way that, you know, you would think for any kind of you know other acting so it shows that he can do that well because he can play so many parts but it still feels impressive to me from the outside because mm-hmm. to me I would think you would just read the stuff <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean and you don't really think about how much goes into that but man it, I don't know it must take a lot to be a narrator because you would have to read everything so you'd have to be a pretty quick reader I think because you'd have to read everything at least once if not more because you'd really need to know the story and understand the character and then you have to still go back and record it mm-hmm. so. and he said he doesn't do it often but he did say sometimes he will all of a sudden stop and be like wow I sound like an idiot I need to read that. I don't <laughs> want that going out <laughs> I thought that was funny yep and I appreciate that his like he feels like he like the best compliment he's ever received was like from authors saying you just get it and I was like oh that's really sweet because he felt like that meant he didn't he didn't apply himself to the work he just applied what he understood the author was wanting to these characters and that that is a, a talent I would say yeah it was really cool I also loved that they were talking about and I'm not on TikTok so I haven't seen it but they were talking about some 
bit of his audio from something that went viral mm-hmm. and apparently is all over TikTok and like tons of views and follows and tons of people using it and he had no idea no clue he was like oh I might have to go look for that <laughs> I loved that just the fact yeah. that he was clueless and, and John know, York had- was like it'll be easy just type your name in <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was really cool that he you know what I mean isn't like mm-hmm. out there searching for those things had no idea that he was I guess sort of famous in a way <laughs> right and it's just kind of like okay cool yeah well I wonder how much of that comes from like he said very clearly he's like there was a time where I read a lot of the reviews and then I realized that a lot of the reviews are just people saying things to get clicks or be mean and I stopped doing that so I wonder like if it's just the only way to stop doing that is to stop looking yeah well I think it was the host Sean York that said in response to that the same thing that he had looked and then it became frustrating because the same person would basically say two things that were complete opposites and he would get really frustrated because he's like I can't be both of those so clearly this isn't right (laughs) you know like a useful or helpful review and you're just not you know what I mean there's no point to that because He's like, you're telling me I'm being too harsh, but then I'm being too soft or whatever it is. And he's like, Grand. that's not possible. I like have to be one or the other. You can't tell me I'm I'm being both at the same time. So he was saying like, the same sort of thing, like the reviews, it's just better not to kind of pay attention really. Mm-hmm. But yep. I love Teddy Hamilton though. If anybody, he apparently doesn't only do romance novels, but I think mm. his biggest chunk Mm -hmm. is romance novels so if anybody likes romance novels (laughs) yes I'm very excited now because I literally had no idea I'm so pumped but if anybody likes romance novels because that's where I first came across Teddy Hamilton definitely worth listening to search for him and listen to all the romance novels (laughs) yep he's a very good voice for romance novels well I think he was the male voice in Allie Hazelwood's first book I do not remember, but it is possible. It was on the list, so I'm imagining it must have been. Why can't I remember the title of that one right now? Uh, all I can think of is the one we're talking about today. I know, right? Um, I can picture the cover and everything. And yeah, no. It will no. not come to me. Um, the Love Hypothesis. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. okay since we're talking about the love hypothesis just really really quick i just got an amazing tea infuser that is a test tube from the carlson lab i am pumped yes it's from joy i am pumped i haven't used it yet i don't know how i'm gonna store it because it's literally like a a test test tube tube. but it is awesome and i am so excited about it. it okay sorry random side tangent (laughs) but i'm super pumped about it okay yep yeah listen to teddy hamilton that's all i've got <laughs> yep same podcast book just listen yes. to him it's fun and as far as the audiobook club with john york goes like i said i think if it was a narrator that i knew i would be interested in listening but i don't think i would just listen all the time because i don't think it would have any meaning to me really if it's just mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of random people i don't actually really know so yeah I feel the same although I think I will have to essentially research each name that comes up because I will have no clue if I know them or not unless it's Julia Whalen. 
<laughs> well, to be fair, there's only a handful of narrators that I actually know. And it's only because there's a few that I really like their voices and have listened to multiple things from them. So, I mean, I could probably count on one hand the number that I would, you know, definitely right. be like, I like this person and I want to listen. So, I mean, there might be a few more if I saw their name, I would recognize mm-hmm. it. But, but, you know, there's only like a handful that I really would actually like seek out or know and be like those are one of my favorites so right probably wouldn't be listening to that many episodes (laughs) but if I saw that one of them was on it I would be like I will listen to that nice so so Teddy Hamilton guest star was a win otherwise I think it's up in the air depending on (laughs) if you want to listen to random interviews or not basically Mm mm-hmm yeah, and so. if you're interested in the field, I think it would be a really good one. Like, there's like little pieces bits of... that come mm-hmm. in. Yeah, agreed, agreed for sure. All right, do you want to tell us about Love Theoretically? Of course. So, Love Theoretically is the most recent book written by Allie Hazelwood. The Goodreads description says. The many lives of theoretical physicist Elsie Hannaway have finally caught up with her. By day, she's an adjunct professor, tolling away at grading labs and teaching thermodynamics in the hopes of landing tenure. By other day, Elsie makes up for her non-existent paycheck by offering her services as a fake girlfriend, tapping into her expertly honed people-pleasing skills to embody whichever version of herself the client needs. Honestly, it's a pretty sweet gig until her carefully constructed Elsieverse comes crashing down because Jack Smith, the annoyingly attractive and broody older brother of her favorite client, turns out to be the cold-hearted experimental physicist who ruined her mentor's career and undermined the reputation of theorists everywhere. And that same Jack who now sits at the hiring committee at MIT right between Elsie and her dream job Elsie is prepared for an all-out war of scholarly sabotage, but those long, penetrating looks, not having to be anything other than her true self when she's with him, will falling into an experimentalist's orbit finally tempt her to put her most guarded theories on love into practice? Loved it. (laughs) So good. I will say that... It was interesting in the sense that, like, so, so let's, if I start with the one thing that I was didn't love, and it's not that I didn't love it, it's just that it felt very much like her previous book. So different characters, slightly different things that happened to them, but- What kind of similar? Very similar in a lot of ways. You have a very similar heroine, a very similar hero. Yeah. So in that sense, you're, it's almost like I've read the book before, but it still didn't take away from me wanting to read it. I'd be more than happy to reread it again. There is a cameo from the Love Hypothesis that I loved. She also teased it in the very beginning. It's like in the introduction like to my readers who love Adam and Olive. And I was like, oh, they're going to be in the book somewhere. Where is it? <laughs> So if you're going to make a book that to me feels that familiar in like plot and characters, bringing in those former characters and just like making the nod to it is kind of perfect. 
Yep, I agree. It was, if you're really going to compare them, there were a lot of similarities, like you said, and it had a similar feel. But also, I was there for it the whole time. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. And I just wanted to read it. As a matter of fact, we were reading two books and I started ignoring one, even though the other (laughs) book was good. I couldn't stop. So I just Mm -hmm. kind of started ignoring one for the other. Whoopsie daisies. Um, We're still reading the others. It's fine. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Well, that's the thing. The other books were really good too. It had Mm -hmm. nothing to say about the other book. It was just, I needed to know what was going to happen in Mm -hmm. this one. But so even though there were similarities, I was totally there for it. I loved it. I really liked the characters. I guess if I had if I had to pick, I think I would still pick the Love Hypothesis as my favorite. Mm-hmm. But this was really good, and I really liked Elsie. She was a fun character, mm-hmm. and kind of in the same way that Olive was sort of <laughs> like a mess quirky. and hilarious <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and quirky, but in the best sort of lovable way. Mm -hmm. so I appreciated that and Jack was a solid a solid male you know Mm -hmm. character or whatever the same way that love interest yeah thank you I was like I'm not I'm not having the right word (laughs) here but you knew what I meant so same as you know from the love hypothesis also so yeah I I loved it, I would read anything that Allie Hazelwood puts out, which is mm-hmm. why can we just talk about this teaser on Instagram about a, is it a vampire werewolf love? Yes, yeah, called story? Bride, I believe. Yep. By Allie Hazelwood that's going to come out. Yep. And I don't know what's going on. She sort of said, this is why you write all of these other books and you basically make it so that your publisher will let you write what you want and trust you to write something different so she's put out these steminist books which she said she's not done with those so it's not like we have to worry that we won't get another but she puts out these steminist books gets a lot a lot of uh credit points with her publisher so that she can then write this weird paranormal romance i guess like and it came out of nowhere I had no idea but because it's Allie Hazelwood I will read it yeah she also has a YA book coming out later this year oh yes it has a really cute cover I was gonna Mm -hmm. say it has some kind of chess cute cover Mm -hmm. I will I'm definitely there for that also but see that one even though obviously you haven't read it yet it at least feels more like what she's already put out somehow Mm -hmm. This other one feels different. So we'll see what that's going to be all about. But yeah, if you like just a good, good romance with a somewhat grumpy, more stern man and a more sunshiny girl, this book is for you. So my favorite part of this book is the many, many different emails that are read out loud from students. Because while I have not received all of them, she received some really gross ones. And luckily, my students have been nicer to me than that. But I have received many a similar email, like emails such as, I need to get my dog groomed. Can that be an excused absence? And emails like, and I'm just always like, 
it could have been an excused absence if you hadn't told me the purpose, but grooming your dog is not a reason to miss my class. Sorry. I can't believe there wouldn't be another time where you could do that because there's tomorrow. <laughs> I can't believe someone would even ask that. I so oh, yeah. enjoyed all of the emails. I thought they were hilarious and funny, but if it actually happened to me in real life, I would be so annoyed. Mm-hmm. And also it just showed how hard being an adjunct can be. Mm-hmm. And I felt really bad for her. She was definitely hustling and mm-hmm. not getting enough money or credit for all that she was doing. Yeah. So. She was teaching twice the number of full-time because full-time is four classes and she was teaching like eight or nine and she didn't have health benefits. It's wild what schools will do to adjuncts. Yeah. Not cool. No. No not cool at all like I said it made for a good story but oh, yeah. I know Super funny. that there I know there are people out there that are doing that and basically living mm-hmm. that and I feel bad for those people particularly if you are if you are someone who has been in academia and you've done the uh adjunct life um or even if you are tenured but you're getting still getting emails from freshmen and sophomores juniors and seniors of course but um it's worth reading just for the comical aspects of academia. It's painful, but funny. This makes me feel so old, but I feel like I never would have done that or known anybody that would have done that kind of thing. And so I'm wondering, were we just mature for our age, essentially? Or is it kids these days, essentially? As I, again, make myself yeah. feel really super old. <laughs> I don't think it's kids these days per se, because like I know a lot of students who, like particularly my one and two hundred level courses, who just didn't go to class. But I think they didn't email their professors. I think they just skipped. So I'm not sure what is better: the emails where students provide excuses, be them not good excuses or actually valid excuses like the kid who had like the fifth or no the eighth grandparent die (laughs) like you do start to wonder do you actually have eight sets of grandparents like did you have two parents who divorced and all who remarried who all the grandparents died at the exact same time or not but so I just don't know if it is a cultural thing where now we'd say that to take that extra step versus the students I knew who just didn't show. I do know there was still those students who were like, I'm not going to class. I don't know if they succeeded. I never saw them in my future classes, but I know they existed. Yeah, there are definitely people who skipped, but I don't remember them emailing the professor and coming up with weird, crazy excuses. Although maybe I wouldn't always know that. Maybe right. they were, but yeah, I don't know. It just seems crazy. I feel like you should either just skip and not say anything and hope that you get sort of the benefit of the doubt that they assume you had a good reason, or you only email if you have like an actual, really legitimate, good excuse. Right. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. And I know that like who I was in grad school was different than who I was in undergrad in terms of the amount of communications and stuff I had with my professors in large part because my grad school was much smaller. It was more, I mean, it was smaller than my high school. (laughs) Um, But also 
they also asked more of me. And so in college, I'd gotten used to a certain, I don't know, homework level. And then in grad school, instead of having 10 page papers, it was 50 page papers. And I was like, that more than doubles the amount of work that I'm used to having to do at the same time. And so I got used to talking to my instructors ahead of time and saying things like, okay, four of you have asked for a 50 page paper on the same day or in the same week, and that is not going to happen. So I need one of you to let me do this in the following week or early or whatever. And I would just have those conversations. And I do essentially try to teach my undergrad students now to have those conversations, like do it early, see this as a contract. And I know I didn't do that in undergrad, but it's because it it was just so much less work. <laughs> and then when I got to grad school, I was like, oh my God, I can't, this is a lot more work, which is fine, but I needed those extensions. <laughs> no, definitely communicating is good, especially when it's about those kinds of things, but messaging to be like, can I miss so I can take my dog to get groomed <laughs> is like another story. That's like another level. It is, it truly is. But it definitely oh. makes for cute anecdotes in a book. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So if you like Steminist Romance and if you like Ellie Hazelwood, then you will love this book. Yeah, five stars. Definitely five stars. And if you haven't read any of her stuff, start at the beginning with The Love Hypothesis and yep. you will not regret it. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, do you want to tell us why you can't stop thinking about Supreme Court decisions? Yes, mostly because I'm annoyed by them. <laughs> so recently, we've had a whole bunch of decisions come out. And essentially, they've all been crap decisions. They've all been six to three. And as you can probably guess by my annoyance, I agree with the three liberal justices and not the six conservative ones. And it's just very, very, very frustrating because essentially I have no faith in our court anymore <laughs> at all. They, as Megan so eloquently put it, pretzel themselves into decisions <laughs> because they go in circles and find ways to justify things that it just doesn't make any sense. It's all ridiculous. They don't take into consideration how these decisions are actually affecting people. They aren't even going by their own rules. Like a lot of them say they're constitutionalists and even that doesn't feel legitimate. They're not always really going by that. It's crazy. Mm -mm. And it's just so frustrating, essentially. I have literally no faith in them at all. It's really frustrating because you have, like, they don't even have, there's nobody policing them at all. They're at the top. There's all these ethics concerns coming out, of course, with the conservative justices. So that, it just adds to the whole thing because it's so frustrating because it shouldn't be that way. And yet Roberts is trying to say his court is legitimate, but then you have these people going on these lavish trips and getting all of these things worth so much money without reporting it and not recusing themselves from cases that have to do with them. You then have all of these decisions coming out that not only just don't make any sense, but are so hurtful to people and just so 
wrong sort of like morally and just thinking about sort of society and stuff and I know that there is something to be said for following the law like I realize it can't just always be what you want but that's not what this is no and like recently like a lot of these cases the other thing that's so frustrating is they don't even have standing meaning the supreme court shouldn't be hearing them and even justice i'm pretty sure it was justice kagan said for one of these recent cases which i believe it was the one about student loans she said the court is overreaching starting with the fact that they've decided to rule and have a decision at all because mm-hmm. there was no standing mm-hmm. this one of the states i want to say missouri but that might be wrong but one of the states essentially brought the case for a loan provider in their state and that loan provider was like hey hey leave us out of this we want nothing to do with this so the loan provider wasn't even trying to do it themselves but so they decided that even though there had been no harm because nothing had been done and even though the the state was bringing it for this company who said i want no part in this the supreme court still chose to hear it even though there was no case essentially and then ruled that they would be they had been harmed even though there had been no harm yet when that's just crap yeah and when previous courts had said there is no standing here right right and kagan like i said i'm pretty sure it's kagan i might be wrong it's one of the three liberals but i'm pretty sure it was kagan literally in the dissent said this is a huge overreach mm-hmm. starting with the fact that we should not have even ruled on this there is no mm-hmm. case there is no standing mm-hmm. and that's just indicative of what this court is doing over and over mm-hmm. and over they're not caring about pre- precedents it doesn't even matter like it used to matter past precedents doesn't even matter anymore there's past precedents doesn't matter at all and again even in the past there were justices like Scalia who was awful Justice Scalia was terrible. He was super ultra conservative and he was terrible. And even still, I can't remember on which case it was, but it was on one of the big cases. I think maybe the abortion rights at some point when they were talking about that, he said, even though I may not agree with it, the ramifications to the public, because this has been past precedent, would be too great like the harm would be too great so i'm not going to vote to overrule it and like they don't even care about that i mean mm-hmm. literally they've overturned dobbs they've over they're like overturning some of the stuff from brown versus mm-hmm. education stuff the voting rights act like the, i mean just everything like they're just they don't even care about how it affects people mm-hmm. it's just awful they're literally it's all political they're political hacks and you are supposed to be apolitical on the supreme court and it is a hundred percent political and it is driving me crazy yeah and you can see that particularly in the affirmative action case with harvard where they yes, set this was up the a separate standard for military leaders which I wouldn't have enjoyed the ruling if they hadn't done that. Like if they had just treated everybody, all schools the same, like if they had said that if they'd done the same ruling, but hadn't had this military exception, I still would have been unhappy, but this military exception proves that they are just making stuff up. They don't care how logic works. They don't care 
because the claim is that the military members need to have diversity focused on because they're going to have to lead a diverse group of people. Now that diverse group of people is supposed to be a reflection and is a reflection of the diversity of the United States because the people who serve in the United States military are United States citizens. Right. So there if should you be no difference. Military schools are going to need to be able to lead a diverse group of people. You are saying that education systems in the United States are going to have to train a diverse group of people. This is what education is supposed to do. It is supposed to teach and train, excuse me, the next generation. So what you're already saying you know is going to be diverse because you've made a military exception. I nope. can't understand the, this is why I, why I call it a pretzel because you cannot claim that the military needs this exception because it has to be able to handle and deal with diversity, but, but not Harvard the rest of the doesn't. country. Like that's, I can't, like, I just can't with the lack of logic there because you, you're saying if A equals B, then B equals Z. And you're like, the only time that works is if you're also saying that A equals Z. And they're, but they're saying at the end, but A equals something different. And so Harvard and other universities have to act differently than the military. And I'm just, that makes, makes no me sense. so frustrated. I'm like, how, how are you okay with that? <laughs> Can we also talk about how frustrating it is that it's going to hurt a lot of the different minority communities? Because, for example, if there are less minority doctors, then they, they it's been shown, for example, that Black doctors treat back Black patients better because mm -hmm. they more adequately assess their pain needs. Mm -hmm. They've, it's like, twice as likely for a black child to survive if it's a black if it's a black doctor in mm -hmm. childbirth than not mm -hmm. like the statistics are crazy they're like wild crazy yeah. and they so they're already show so they're saying this could have huge ramifications for a lot of those communities because if you aren't making sure that you're training these my you know minority doctors and other professions then you know, you're hurting those communities long-term, like big time. Also, stupidly, they have not said that you can't talk about things like race in your admissions essays. And those essays can be used to help determine if you should join a university, like if they should offer you a place. Mm -hmm. So essentially you're saying every single person has to talk about, so, the, you know, their race or whatever it is that sets them apart how hard it's been to be a woman or how you know their race has played a role right. like you're saying Adversity that has to be, has included. To be mm -hmm. included in your essay because it's the only way to for them to potentially try to have a diverse class at any school and mm -hmm. all of the schools want to have diverse classes and they've said that because the classes are better like it's better formed they help educate each other when you have you know people that are diverse coming from different backgrounds 
like Mm -hmm. everything about it is better for the schools for the classes for everything and also they haven't said that there's any problem with you know getting in because you're a legacy or your parents parents have donated tons of money Mm -hmm. to these universities so you cannot get in on merit but get in because you're a legacy but you can't get in on merit because you know, of affirmative action, it makes if that merit sense. has somehow something to do with your the color of your skin. Yeah. Right. It's, it's wild. And they're essentially saying with that military exception, like we are more than happy to have people of color serve and put their life on the line for us. But we but will we make sure that they don't CEOs. have equal access to yeah, to you know, higher education. Like you know. Thanks. We feel really good about that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just so frustrating. And literally every decision that comes out, it's like more and more and more frustrating. And the more and more, I'm just like, you have got to do something about the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've talked about expanding the Supreme Court and a lot of people go up in arms and they're like, how could you? But they've expanded the Supreme Court in the past and there's no Mm -hmm. rules against it. And honestly, it would make more sense it's the highest court in the land making the biggest decisions mm-hmm. and it's not really that big of a court right it would kind of makes sense also i really think congress needs to set some rules for ethics which they've mm-hmm. not done in the past but they really need to have some rules yeah. which john roberts tried to say oh well we can do this to ourselves and set some rules and then yep, guess what alito was like oh nope I'm already not going to follow the rules that the court just set for themselves Mm -hmm. so it's all that's just you know Congress needs to set some rules and also they cannot self-police and I also would not be opposed to term limits I mean that sucks a little bit when you have a good justice you know what I'm saying because Mm -hmm. there is something kind of cool about a lifetime appointment and sort of knowing that you know, you're there for the long haul and that you can make whatever decisions you want because you can't sort of get voted out or, I mean, in this sense, you would just expire out. You wouldn't actually get mm-hmm. voted out. But I still think it doesn't really make sense. You've got justices that are way too old to be serving. You, right now, the like I said, the whole, you know, conservative side is super partisan which you're not even supposed to be and there's nothing to stop them they will literally mm-hmm. just be there until they decide they're done or they die mm-hmm. and also Wild. sorry just going back can we also go back to the fact that clarence thomas has been super out to get this affirmative action stuff for like so long and he only got where he is because of affirmative action can we yeah, just talk about it. how backwards that is also Oh, it's so frustrating. But anyways, something needs to happen to this court. It's, it's ridiculous. They are not serving the people. Mm-hmm. Everyone is having less and less faith in them. And it's only going to be a matter of time before people don't take them seriously altogether. Like right now- Well, it's yeah, still- you have to. What's the- How well, can I mean, you right- take a ruling seriously that comes out with, with that much lack of just plain actual logic? Like logic of A plus B equals C- c equals d so a plus c equals d like it's no but it's like over and over and over Uh it's over and over and over and i just don't understand how they can i don't know it's so it's so messed up there's so many Mm -hmm. cases they shouldn't even have been hearing they're making wrong decisions they're hurting lots of people again they're ignoring past precedents it's just 
it's messed up it's so messed mm-hmm. up and something like needs to change yeah so okay i'm sorry rant over i'm just really frustrated especially <laughs> with all of these decisions that are coming out i think you need to get us onto a nicer topic and tell us about these movie lists all right so our final topic of the day is something i can't stop thinking about because my husband was talking about it the other day and that is the top 100 and in this case because i found a different list the top 200 top grossing films of all time so how much money has the movie made worldwide so this is not focusing on purely domestic numbers but the worldwide and of like the top 200 movies almost all of them are fantasy well pretty much almost like yeah they're almost all fantasy some of them are animated most of them are your big franchises and then you get like the occasional like one or two kind of indie films like Bohemian Rhapsody is the only one on the whole 200 list that I have heard of that wasn't a major um, like franchise or produced by a major production company film other than like three films that were released in China one of which got no no play here in the United States like it's because it'll you can see it breaks it down by the domestic and the international there's zero money domestically <laughs> and it's all money internationally which did make me feel better because I was like um I don't know this movie called hi mom uh, and that's <laughs> why because it wasn't released here in the United States but it's just it's wild that for instance like Frozen 2 made more money than Frozen I haven't seen Frozen 2 but reviews wise Frozen got much better reviews than Frozen 2 <laughs> But Frozen 2 still made more money. So that is wild to me. I think it's probably because you had all the people who loved Frozen 1, plus all the new kids, all going yeah, to Frozen 2. Yeah, but they only came 2. out like two years apart, maybe? I don't know. Everyone loved Frozen. Like, it was right. huge for kids. Yeah. So I'm not surprised in that respect. Like, I think Frozen 1 probably is better, but. Oh, yeah. But I mean. Music is better, at least. The hype for Frozen 2, I think, because Frozen 1 was so. Right. You know, explosive. It was on the scene for the kids. Yes. Yes. But the implications of this are kind of huge. Like, if you're ever wondering why it feels like you're getting an 87th version of Batman or Spider-Man, it's because it makes a whole lot of money. The Avengers franchise, I think every single one of those movies is on the top 200. The Fast and Furious, like, I don't think the first one is, but seven and then ones that I don't think are numbered or on there, which I think is great because there's so much diversity in that cast, but it's if you but you're also like how are you still making movies right in all honesty i haven't even seen the last couple because but there are so many i think there's 10 of them i think there are 10 of them i originally i watched all of them i loved them so much but somewhere around like i don't know seven eight something like that i somehow missed one and then kind of stopped seeing them i think but they've but even still they have huge famous people in their casts yeah you know 
how many movies can make 10 of them and still pull in major names right well and james cameron has three of the top five grossing movies of all time with his with avatar one avatar two and titanic so it's just wild to me which is crazy but i also believe it because i remember first titanic I remember when that movie came out. Oh, yeah. And how gigantic it was and mm-hmm. how people were going to the movie theater to watch it multiple, multiple times. times. Yep, yep. And I'm not saying that nobody ever does that now, but it wasn't the same as like when Titanic came out. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like, were we in high school then? Mm-hmm. And I just remember people going like so many times, which is crazy mm-hmm. also because it is such a long movie, mm-hmm. but it was huge. But the fact that it's had such staying power is also mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And I also remember the hype around Avatar 1 because that's the first movie. I don't know if it actually was the first 3D movie, but it's the first movie that I really remember coming I out I think it 3D was and making... developed the technology. So yeah, so it must have been. So I remember it going crazy because it was the first 3D movie mm-hmm. and everybody was seeing it. So I I believe it, but still, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm pretty sure the oldest film on the list of the top 200 is E.T. Oh, mm-hmm. crazy. So nothing older than like 81 or 82. Because that was well, it sort of makes sense though. Because probably. I mean, I don't know how the records are the older back you go, but then also the reach wouldn't have been as big. Right. So it does kind of make sense, but. Yeah. And I have no idea if there's like an adjustment for inflation or anything like that with this list. It may just be a plain. Oh, yeah. That's true because, you know, mm -hmm. Titanic, we would have paid, I don't know like four dollars to see it and now you're right. gonna pay like ten dollars to see a movie or whatever and mm-hmm. the difference is so yeah but i can't get over like things that are missing the difference between like the top 200 movies versus like what people claim are the top 100 movies of all time i'm pretty sure the only overlap between those two lists is titanic <laughs> That's so funny. Mm-hmm. This is awful, but I heard that there's been a lot of people rewatching Titanic because of the submersible recently. Right. So it's getting a second life, I think, right now. But the thing is, yeah. is like Titanic, I still remember it. It still feels like one of those epic movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I still love it, even though in some ways it's terrible. Right. But yep. Same. It's kind of awful, but it's still good sort of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but yeah it's crazy that that's the only overlap Mm -hmm. and I had never really thought about it like once you say it it makes sense about like all the movies that are at the top and why there would be 500 Batmans and everything Mm -hmm. but I hadn't really thought of that before and that is crazy that you probably will just keep getting all of those remakes for that very reason Mm -hmm. but they are amazing I'll just keep going to see them right and some of them are contractual because like spider-man i'm pretty sure there's something weird in the contract yeah yep 
I don't remember exactly what it is, but they're Sony, whereas it's like the only one I think that's Sony, right? Yeah. Sony? It's whatever it's that Sony. one is, it's different. And they have to put out to keep the contract every Yeah, It's so like every three years. years or something. If they don't put one out, they lose the rights to the And obviously they will <laughs> not want to lose those rights. Mm-hmm. So they will keep putting those out. Yeah. And luckily the Spider-Man in the universe, Spider-Verse or whatever, that the newest iteration's been quite engaging. yeah sometimes it's so frustrating when they remake them because i'm like why i don't like this new person Mm -hmm. as batman or whatever Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's actually really good and they're Mm -hmm. better or you like them equally so it's like Mm -hmm. okay i don't mind this new iteration of whatever it is but the current spider-man is my favorite Mm -hmm. i'm totally tom holland i was blanking on his name for a second but tom holland is my favorite spider-man so far for Mm -hmm. example so in that respect i'm glad that they've continued to remake them right he definitely beats out the last couple so yeah i don't know but very interesting very interesting yeah so i'll be thinking about the top one or 200 movies for a while just because it fascinates me so many of them are like the human remakes of the disney movies of my childhood so the aladdin beauty and the beast i'm sure eventually the little mermaid will get on there but the little mermaid is too recent to be on the list I feel like that's kind of surprising, but the only thing I can think is that you've got all of the people who loved the originals, so you've mm-hmm. got that whole like generation of people that watched the originals, and then you also have all of the sort of kids and people mm-hmm. that want to see just the new one, mm-hmm. regardless of the old one, so I guess that's why, because you kind of get such a, a broad right. interest in audience, because otherwise mm-hmm. I don't understand how they could compete with some of those other movies right like with the originals right nothing's better than the original beauty and the beast the animated version so i don't understand how the human version even though i love emma watson but i just don't understand (laughs) i like the human version but i also there is definitely something for those classics Mm -hmm. we definitely had the best animated disney movies when we were growing up yeah we did so compete with those Mm -hmm. well if you have thoughts on the top 200 movies or the supreme court or love theoretically or the audiobook club or fordham and mason t let us know reach out to us on our instagram which is apartment 29a spelled all the way out or on gmail at apt29a at gmail.com And have a great week, everyone. Bye, everyone. We'd love to hear from you.